for the many ways we have already worshipped together this morning. Amen. Special thanks to Pam and Marta and Sandrine for helping our young people lead us in a progressive pageant. And thank you, young people, for preaching to us already today. As we continue to worship, join me in prayer. To the one who invites us all to the stage of life, we find joy in your meeting us here, O oh God. Open our hearts and minds now as we dive into your word. May it illuminate us in this season of sparkle in ways that are authentic to your light. Amen. Show of hands if you have heard a sermon on Zephaniah recently. Oh, you came to the early service. Don't look at them. Show of hands if you knew that Zephaniah was a book in the Bible. Still the early worshipers. Okay, a few people, a few people. Well, now that we're being honest with each other, I'll tell you that one of the best things about starting to work at Middle Church during this season of CBS is that you feel like you're always a few days behind. So cue Ellen calling and asking my sermon text a few weeks ago, then on second look realizing a text had already been chosen for me because I should have chosen it months before. So Zephaniah is actually given to us today from Jackie Lewis herself, but more, more importantly, it is our Old Testament lectionary reading for this third Sunday in Advent. So hear now a word from the Lord in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory. The Lord will rejoice over you with gladness, renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. A word from God for the people of God. So we do know a few things about Zephaniah bin Cushi, this lesser known prophet that he is. Zephaniah was a person of considerable social standing, likely in the royal lineage, a fourth generation descendant of Hezekiah, of African descent whose skin was darker than most other prophets of the day, who prophesied during the reign of King Josiah. 
Zephaniah coming to us in between Habakkuk and Haggai, just to make it even better, isn't a long book, only three chapters. The first two are vastly different than the last. The first two display a brutal assault against anyone who dare worship other gods than the great Yahweh. Harsh judgment on Israel's enemies. They focus on the wickedness of Jerusalem and they tell the story of a country ruled by fear and of waiting. By the time we get to chapter three, the text you just heard for today, it's a different tone. Zephaniah promises that God's anger will be followed by peace and restoration. The time of punishment he foresaw in the earlier chapters has ended and a time of rejoicing and a new order of justice for the poor has begun. Why is this context important? Zephaniah's message today has its deepest significance when we read it in contrast to what has come before. We can truly appreciate God's liberating entry into the world only in contrast to the previous state of faithlessness, fear, and hypocrisy. It's important because the story of our existence isn't only chapter three. If Zephaniah were here today, he would also find a nation socially and politically driven by fear, wouldn't he? We're afraid of so many things. We fear immigrants. We fear black boys in hoodies. We fear a poor mother sitting on the floor in a social service office in Brooklyn with her one-year-old baby, so much that we would yank the baby from her arms. We fear loss of power, of control. We fear sitting alone with ourselves. Because if we do, we might have to really think about some things. In sitting with ourselves, we might realize that we have helped manufacture this state of fear. And now we fear what we've created. We've helped manufacture our current state by willfully continuing the structures of a nation built on white supremacy and lies and on the backs of immigrants and indigenous people, a nation whose allegiance is more often to the secular than to the holy. Yes, fear rules our land today, and we are waiting for peace, redemption, and on many days, joy. But if Zephaniah were walking around today, he would reiterate his call to join the God of the universe in gathering in and caring for all. He would remind us that God re reveals herself in the midst of these things of terror and fear and disaster. Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. I find myself focusing on God being in our midst as I wrestle with this passage in the state of our current world. One where on the sixth anniversary of the Sandy Hook massacre, Sandy Hook elementary students were evacuated due to a bomb threat. Where swastikas are spray painted on Jewish professors' walls at Columbia and all over the world, 
and where seven-year-old Jacqueline McKean died of dehydration in shock in the custody of Border Patrol this week. I'm in your midst, Israel. Daughter Zion, Sandy Hook, Jasmine Headley, Centoya Brown, Jacqueline McKean, Puerto Rico. I, the Lord your God, am in your midst. Really? Then what does it mean that God is in our midst? In that midst? This is no longer prophecy. Christ has come. So what does it mean that God is in this midst? God in our midst is both a promise of what can and will be, and at the same time, a call on our lives to participate in bringing about the fullness of God's dreams for the world. The outcasts are not all gathered. Disasters are not all removed. Fear remains. But nevertheless, God breaks through and promises joy of gathering outcasts because that's who God is. And this is where we find ourselves. This is where the not often talked about or preached about prophet Zephaniah finds himself. An understanding that we live in the in-between. After the birth of the brown Jewish refugee baby Jesus, but before the full revelation and realization of God's dreams. We're in the middle. Middle? You can quote me. <laughs> and what do these in-between times, what we do in these in-between times, in these middle times, is what defines our lives. More importantly, it defines what we mean when we say we are people of faith. The promise of God in our midst is comforting, but it's also uncomfortable. It's comforting because we know we are not alone. We are covered by love and surrounded by glimpses of grace, even today. It's comforting because we know God travels in hopes with us and for us. It's uncomfortable because God in our midst must also make us stop and ask why our world doesn't mirror God's hopes and dreams. Katie Sheese writes, in Advent is actually quite political, that there may be nothing more radical and politically important than the notion that we are both anticipating the coming kingdom of God and offering glimpses of it today. And we participate in that duality, in that claiming the majesty of God and the ushering in of what is to come every Sunday when we pray as we just prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Professor Willow McGinley lectures on upholding the ache, how she describes this living in between. Our world is ripe with loss, injustice, loneliness, disease, capitalism, things McGinley calls aches. But, she writes, we can either choose to live in such a way that upholds these aches, or 
We can live in a way that allows the aches to diminish our divine spark and drive. We can choose. Our sacred scriptures have another word about how we might live with these aches, this in-between, this in-the-middle as well. Hear now from Isaiah 58. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Do you know what a breach is? It's a gap. It's the in-between. It's the middle. And we are called to be repairers in this gap life situates us in. The gap reminds us that we still have a job to do. The aches remind us that we still have a job to do. Our fears and the state of the world, even this week, remind us that we have a job to do, to repair the streets, to repair the breach, to expect God to break into the world again every day and every Christmas to motivate our participation in the redemption of the world. Do not let your hands grow weary, daughter Zion. Do not let your hands grow weary, middle church. And we don't always. I know that God is in our midst because I see it in this movement of revolutionary love. When we went down to the border and cried up at Cayuga, and when we will go back to the border in January. I saw God in our midst on Tuesday night when I saw five of you, regular weekly volunteers at New Sanctuary Coalition, an organization right here in our backyard working towards immigrant justice that Laura will speak about later. God is in our midst when we wear our pronoun buttons, a collective declaration that we recognize divinity in a breadth of gender identities. And God will be in our midst when we will read as a congregation white fragility and confront white supremacy anew. Some of you have already started. God is in our midst because as a movement, we understand how far we've yet to go to fully usher in God's dreams. How is God in your midst today? How is God in your midst this season? This work, this life, this being in the middle should bring us joy. It's no accident. This is on the Sunday where we celebrate joy. It should move us to our knees in prayer and to the streets in protest, but it should also bring us joy. Don't forget that chapter three is a song of jubilation, of God singing and shouting with joy over love restored and relationships mended. Because God wants nothing more than for us to know her love and to allow it to inspire us to change the world. In his poem, The Hammock, Lee Young Lee writes, there are stars we haven't heard from yet. They have so far to arrive. This Advent, I invite you to not only wait for the one star, it's an important one, yes, to not only look 
for that one star. Let's wait for each other. Let's wait for ourselves. Let's look for one another. Let's believe that we have far yet to go. Zephaniah was both a dreamer and a realist. And we are called to be both as well. Because there are many stars that we haven't heard from yet. Amen.